Ah, good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to uh, the Lord's house. We gather together and study his word. Uh, maybe we'll take a moment and uh, ask the Lord's direction and guidance in our uh, expedition this morning. Okay? Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of studying your word. And uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, you have, uh, even as it was mentioned this morning, even before the foundation of the world, you had the redeeming work of humanity in mind. We pray as we venture into this uh, study in the book of Acts and this meeting and the ones to come, as we expose ourselves to the uh, divine wisdom of an almighty God, uh, we would be enlightened, as it were, and we would come to a, uh, a greater understanding that our faith would be renewed uh, through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> I know you're not supposed to, but I'm going to begin by making a confession. Uh, uh, I'm not quite the scholar in the book of Acts. I don't know everything. Um, and it's kind of like I was reading, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I, was, I will anyway. I was reading uh, a story about a fellow who was... Um, he put an ad in a paper, and he was selling uh, Britannica encyclopedias. Of course, you wouldn't do that now, right? You don't actually buy the physical ones anymore. But in times in the old days, they, would, they had a hard copy of the Britannica encyclopedias, and he was selling them. And uh, he had written in there, uh, for sale, entire set of Britannica encyclopedias, uh, great condition, perfect condition, uh, selling the entire set, uh, don't need them anymore, my wife knows everything. Ah, <laughs> oh, just kidding. All right, that went over good. I said that to somebody and they looked at me like, really? They have a wife like mine, right? Praise God. Well, uh, we are going to uh, try to glean. Uh, this is going to be primarily academic, I think. So I'm going to warn you, there's not going to be a whole lot of, uh, um, you know, extra insight. I think most of what we're going to consider, you're going to already know. But we, it's good to come back to the table to remind ourselves of these great, um, the wisdom of God, the magnificent wisdom of God. You know, <clears throat> this morning I was thinking about that and... Humility, I, I don't know, if you can help me out with this later if you want, but humility is not something that is fabricated. It's not something that you can actually uh, make yourself. You know, you, you don't necessarily make yourself humble, right? But when you expose yourself to the magnificent wisdom of God, you are developed in humility. When you see the wisdom and the manifold wisdom of God, uh, there's no other place you can go but to be humble as you receive it. What a great privilege it is for us to open the manifold wisdom of God and to be developed in humility. Before we go to the book of Acts, can you turn to Exodus with me? Um, and we're going to read just a, a little passage here. 
the book of Acts, I think, has corresponds, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, with the book of Exodus to a great extent. In Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, read a few verses there. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out from the land to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the, Hiv- and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. There is uh, a certain amount of parallels, I think, and we're gonna, uh, I'm going to come up with that a little bit later, with the books of the New Testament and the Pentateuch, or as it were, the first five books of the Old Testament. And the book of Acts lands in a very uh, uh, unique and, and particular place. The location, the first thing I want to talk about is the location of the book of Acts. And when I mean location, I don't mean Caesarea, Jerusalem. I mean, where is it located in the canonical uh, place of the Bible, where it is located? Uh, the first thing that we're going to see is, is that it fits appropriately. Hopefully, I'll bring you around to see that it fits appropriately where it is. And you can go there now if you want to the book of Acts. We'll just go to Acts chapter 1. It fits very much appropriately where it's at. Uh, the New Testament, when we look at the New Testament books of the Bible, um, they can be divided up into five, into five particular sections. Naturally, you have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. After the Gospels, you have the book of Acts. And then you have the Pauline epistles. Uh, uh, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and you've learned these in Sunday school classes, and I remember seeing the charts of them. You have the books of the Pauline epistles. Then you have the pastoral epistles toward the end of your New Testament, you know, the books of Peter, James, John, and Jude. And then, of course, there's the uh, book of Revelation um, at the end of your Bible. There's a certain parallel or a correspondence that was brought to my attention anyway regarding the New Testament and the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. That would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're going to consider that real briefly. Then we're going to move on. The first thing we see is that the four Gospels in the New Testament are, in some extent, the genesis of the New Testament. The four Gospels are, as it were, the genesis. In that, we have a lot of the great beginnings. The Gospels uh, expose us to the beginnings of the work of the Lord Jesus and the beginning of the foundations of the church that we enjoy so much today. The foundation of our, also, as well as which all of our Christian doctrine rests, the doctrines that we um, 
uh, enjoy so much are found, many of them, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When we come to the book of Acts, and that was the reason why I had started us out in the, in the uh, Exodus, when we come to the books of Acts, it corresponds to the Exodus of the children of Israel. Here we see that God leads uh, the people out of bondage. You know, the children of Israel were under a taskmaster, and they cried out to the Lord, and He heard their cry. And I think that as time developed, and, and when it was the fullness of time, humanity cried out to God, and there the church began to be established. And so the book of Acts is the exodus of the New Testament. Um, it's the historical uh, a book that describes the beginning of the church. The book of Acts is a historical book. It's real, and it's true history. And then we have the uh, Pauline epistles, and those would be uh, corresponding to the book of Leviticus, um, where the core truths of, of holiness unto the Lord, where separation of the believers, where the believers standing in Christ is. These are things that the children of Israel were exposed to in the book of Leviticus, and we see that in the Pauline epistles. I was sitting with someone today, and or this past week, a, um, a physical trainer, and, and he, was, he was explaining to me how uh, he'd felt uh, uh, far away from the Lord. He'd felt far away from God, and, and, and he was... Uh, uh, downcast as it were and then I just shared with him that you know um, he stands uh, in the crowd of many great men because all through the history of the developing and the growing of the church we find people who who felt and got distance and forgot where they were heading and, and were down and that is why I believe that God established or ordained or inspired uh, those Pauline epistles. When you look in it, it's a bunch of people who were trying to figure it out. And the approach of the Pauline epistles, and so I shared with them, get in the Word. Let it lift you up. Find direction in the Word. So the Pauline epistles are the Leviticus of the New Testament. Uh, we see a lot of things in there. And we see the believers standing in Christ. And, and um, what the blood-bought saints have and are in Christ. So there's a correspondence there in Leviticus. And then, of course, the pastoral epistles correspond to the book of Numbers. And here we find the wilderness journey of God's people. You know, I love First John. First John is just, you know, uh, a powerful book of giving us direction through this journey of faith. How many times in there do we find the term, if you are born again, this is how you walk, and this is the direction you go. So, and it tells of a lot of the trials and the suffering of the saints as well. And then, of course, the book of Revelation <coughs> has uh, <coughs> a lot of the same characteristics as Deuteronomy. And this is, uh, <coughs> in Deuteronomy, we see God's ways rehearsed. And then in book of Revelation, we see God rehearsing his ways, how he's going to deal with the children of Israel, how he's going to deal with the Gentile believers. The entire prophetic word 
concerning the Jews is reviewed in the book of Revelation and what he's going to do with the church. So that's just uh, a small part of the location of where the book. It was said that it would be maybe almost a more natural place, much like you have First and Second Corinthians, it would be First and Second Luke, the book of Acts. But uh, it was canonized, and I believe under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, it was canonized and it was placed in a very appropriate place and uh, it's, it's uh, exactly where it ought to be. There's some other observations that we can make when we look at the book of Acts. Uh, one is that the Acts of the Apostles, it's the only inspired church history. The only, there is no other inspired church I mean, you have Josephus, and you have, who's probably the most renowned one, and you have some of the other uh, um, uh, great uh, historians that have compiled facts of history, which, by the way, many of them give evidence and proof to the authenticity of the book of Acts. But the book of Acts is the only truly inspired church history. And, of course, it is the first church history. It was written before any, any of the others regarding the history of the church. The book of Acts was written. The book of Acts was um, as early as the first century was accepted as church history. Even before Josephus put his stuff together in 93 AD, the book of Acts was uh, adhered to as historical fact. And as well, it was the primary church history governing, governing the early church, the book of Acts. And that's what they went to to govern the church. So there's a few observations the book of Acts. Um, let's talk about the writer. Who wrote the book of Acts? There are three um, pretty much... Uh, basic ideas and um, and of course they can be they can be refuted uh, easily two of them and he one is is that the Marsonians and I just don't remember the name uh, groups of people who are not necessarily Christian have said that the uh, book of Acts was written in uh, around 200 around 200, and it was just compiled as a result of somebody reading the other epistles. Of course, that's not true when you read the book of Acts. Um, even it, in and of itself, it says it's at a certain place in time. So it's easy, that's easily refuted. There are others who say that it was written uh, as a result of, the, right, of the, um, uh, the writings of Josephus, and it was written after 93 A.D., and, of course, that can be refuted as easy as that. But in the book of Acts itself says that even though he doesn't use his own name, right, uh, when we look at the epistles, it's obvious that it was written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. In the Acts of the Apostle, Luke, he, can, he, he writes uh, in the former Trestides or treatise? How do you say that word? Treatise? Trestides. Okay. He tells what Jesus began both to do and to and to teach. Let's see what it says in Acts chapter one, verse one. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all 
that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. So this is a continuation of something that was already begun. Um, we see that uh, uh, Jesus, what Jesus did on earth was written in the Gospels, in particular this one, in the Gospel of Luke. But now Luke is going to be continuing the work of Jesus, but now no longer on earth, but in his glorified position. So this is a continuation of the work both to do and to teach that Jesus did. And we're going to see how that worked out through the book of Acts. Um, some evidences that it is Luke we find in the other on the other epistles. Look at Colossians chapter Colossians chapter four. <clears throat> A lot of this stuff, research, I'm going to encourage you to do it on your own because most of you know that when I get up here, I have my brakes don't always work so well, and I don't want to keep anybody too late. I have. I know everybody has seen Colossians chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Now we know Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul, and obviously uh, with some of these uh, uh, sections we see that Luke traveled along with Paul. Look at 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> The Apostle says in verse um, chapter 4 and verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Um, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And we know that Luke was with the, the Lord, or I'm sorry, Luke was with the Apostle Paul in a lot of his events. We look in Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, there's a, there's a phrase that's used throughout the book, and you can do the research yourself. It's, they're called the we phrase. More often than one time, the apostle or the, the writer of the, the book, I'm sorry, I'm probably getting everybody confused. I said the apostle Paul and all this other stuff. But more often than not, we see Luke writing and using the term we, and that means he's including himself. He was with Paul as he did his journeys. It says, Now when we came to Rome, it says, When we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners of, to the captain of the guard. So we see that he was actually with the Apostle Paul in that situation. All right. So we did a few observations, come to understanding that more than uh, there's plenty of evidence that the book of Acts was written by the physician Luke. And, uh, you know, one of the good reasons, I think, I, heard, I was reading in a commentary, was that uh, why it would be Luke that would write this particular book, um, why God would inspire Luke to pen it, would be because there's a transition going on right now. This is also a transitional book. You have the gospel being preached to the Jews, the Jews rejecting the gospel, and now the gospel going to the Gentiles. So it would be a more natural setting for a Gentile to preserve the history of the transferring, as it were, of the work of God in the Gentiles. 
Let's look, and as, uh, let's look at the date, as it were, or we already talked about that. Acts concludes, we already read in Acts chapter 28, it concludes the account of Paul's earliest ministry, and he was with him then, and that was approximately A.D. 63, 65, somewhere around there. And it appears that the, this book was written right around that time. Some themes of this book. In, um, in the Gospel of Acts, we find, first of all, most, the most prominent one, we find the ascension and the promised return of the Lord Jesus. We see that in Acts uh, chapter 1. It says now in verse 8, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by, uh, in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So there's the ascension and the promise of his return. There's also the descent of uh, the Spirit on Pentecost. Very In Acts chapter 2, we see... Um, the, 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 the Holy Spirit descending on the people. And there are so many avenues that you can explore this. Even uh, Friday we were uh, uh, with the little children. We covered the uh, Tower of Babel. Many of you are familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. After the flood and God had commanded to... Uh, the the uh, family of Noah to fill the earth, but they decided to come together and build a tower and make a name for themselves, an indication that they were expressing independence from God. We will make a name for ourselves. And so as a result, God uh, confounded their languages. And what happened when He confounded their languages? They dispersed. When we come to uh, the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, there is the other action. When all of the languages came together, right? They understood. They were able to understand. So, so in Babel, there was a dispersion. In uh, Pentecost, there is a bringing back together. There is an establishing of the church. There is a redefining a dependence upon God. So we, we see that as uh, a, another theme through uh, the Scriptures that, that culminates in the book of Acts. Also, we see Peter uh, throughout the book of Acts. We see Peter as he uh, uses the keys to open the kingdom uh, to the Jews first at Pentecost. God still wasn't done trying to get the Jews to turn to Him. Even at Pentecost, Peter would preach to the Jews, but later he again would go and preach to the Gentiles, uh, even starting with Cornelius. Uh, another thing that we find in the book of Acts is the beginning of the Christian church and the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and also we see uh, a major theme through um, acts uh, the working of the Holy Spirit. When you, when you consider the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a, there's a, uh, 
there's a, 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 a general theme, I think we can say, of how the Son, the Lord Jesus, in His work, in His life, was exalting the Father. Father, not my will, but yours be done. We think of the 40 days in the wilderness, or His 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. And, and, and just the very life of the Lord Jesus pointed to exalting the Father. When we come to the book of Acts, there's the presence of the Spirit that's exalting and revealing the Son. Helping us to get a, a, a clearer understanding of the deity of the Son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus exposed the deity of the Father in heaven, right? And the Spirit exposes the deity of the Lord Jesus in the book of Acts. So there's a few things that we've seen. Now let's look at some of the characters in um, the book of Acts. Predominantly, first we're going to, the two most obvious characters are Peter and Paul. Again, we've already touched on it. There was Peter who, uh, even in the very beginning, Acts chapter 2, preached the gospel to the Jews. And uh, they said, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were cut to the heart. Uh, they still couldn't repent, many of them. So Peter preached the gospel primarily, first of all, to the Jews, offering the kingdom of God again to the nation of Israel. And then after their rejection, he turns to the Gentiles, as it was, led by the Spirit of God, when he had that vision and he met with Cornelius. So that was one of the main characters. And then, of course, the other one would be the Apostle Paul, who on his way to persecute the church, after condoning the stoning of Stephen and, and with his great zeal, uh, he went to persecute the church on the road to Damascus. The Spirit of God overwhelmed him, and there was the conversion of the Apostle Paul. So those are the two main characters of the of the book of Acts. But there's also some other characters we, we find as we look a little deeper. And the first one is, is we see the glorified Lord. We see the glorified Lord in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the former, the, the, he says, uh, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. On earth, he expresses his worldly, his, his work on earth, but now he's expressing the work that Jesus does in his glorified condition. Acts is a continuation. The Lord's action, no longer on earth, but from glory. And there's a, a few illustrations I want to use there. Acts one twenty three, Acts 1 and verse 23. <clears throat> And they proposed two. Joseph called Barnabas, who was surnamed Justice and, and, Math, and uh, Mathis. And they prayed and they said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. One of the first acts that the glorified Lord did was revealed who would fill the spot and, and continue in the prophecy of the Psalms, which said that someone would take that place 
Someone would fill that place and they look to the glorified Lord and then they cast lots and the Lord appointed uh, Matthias as it were. Okay? Um, so that's one of the, the, the examples or an illustration. Another one is in Acts 2.46. Acts 2.46, an illustration of the, of the work of the glorified Lord. It says, So continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread in the house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were saved. So it's the glorified Lord continuing to work in the lives here. And go to Acts chapter 3, Acts 3 and verse 12. And there's plenty, plenty more. I'm just doing these just because I'm almost done. Okay, Acts chapter 3 and verse 12 says, So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, <clears throat> glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So it was the Lord. They, when they, there was this healing of the lame man, and all of the people there began to grab them and say, oh, you're a God, you're a God. And they said, no, it wasn't us. It wasn't in our power. It was the glorified Lord that raised him, from the, that, that raised him into new health. Throughout the book, uh, we behold the glorified Lord. He's guiding the church. He's, he's directing the church. He's comforting, and he's encouraging his servants. Um, we see that all throughout the book of Acts. So that was one character. Another character we find is the comforter. And we're just going to go briefly over this. Acts 2.4. Acts 2.4. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. On the day of Pentecost, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit came. Okay, It marks the birthday of the church. I was thinking about that. We should have a celebration, shouldn't we? The birthday of the church. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? So, uh, anyway, I don't know how we would do that, but if you have any ideas, I'm in. It marks the birthday of the church, and after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit begins to reside with the people now. Before, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on an individual that God wanted to use, and then oftentimes uh, the, the, it, it would leave. So um, at this now, the, the work, the Holy Spirit is with the people. The Holy Spirit fills, guides, and sustains the church, much like the glorified Lord Jesus, and they work together. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Bible, in, in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts more than 50 times. It's been said that this could be titled The Works of the Holy Spirit, right? Or the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So more than 50 times, either we have Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God or the Spirit leading and guiding and directing the early church. Acts 2.4, we already read how the Holy Spirit came down. Um, Acts 6.10, look at Acts 6.10 real quick. 
and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which they spoke. We praise the Lord for that meeting we had earlier today as we look to the leading of the Holy Spirit to direct our thoughts and our attention. And, uh, and here we have an example of when the Holy Spirit leads and directs the thoughts of the people. They couldn't even resist it, even if they wanted to. Acts 8.29 Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. You remember how the Holy Spirit worked in the life of Philip? Of Philip. And he ran alongside that chariot, and then he led that man to baptism. He led that man to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And then the Spirit picked him up again and put him somewhere else. Acts 10.19 Acts 10.19 While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, The Holy Spirit was directing and guiding and sustaining the church. You know, when we look at the book of Acts, we do not find any doctrines regarding the Holy Spirit. We're only exposed to the Holy Spirit. It won't be till later, through the divine work of the Lord and His saints, as we will find more understanding and, as it were, direction and doctrine, the Holy Spirit in the book in the books of the uh, epistles. So we see the glorified Lord working. We see the presence of the Spirit as another main character. There is one third character, and I'm going to touch real quick on this one. There's another character that's men- mentioned throughout there, or we see, obvious, and that is that great deceiver, the enemy, Satan. Satan is seen through there as he tries to, many times, he attempts to hinder the gospel, Acts 5 and three, we see a very vivid picture there. Acts 5 and 3, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled you? Throughout the, gospel, throughout the, the book of Acts, we see Satan trying to hinder the gospel. So we saw some characters that we mentioned. The Apostle Paul, Peter, we saw the... Uh, risen Lord, glorified Lord, the Holy Spirit working, and that enemy at hand. Let's look at the content real quick. Some hints to the content. Um, turn over to Luke chapter 24 real quick. Luke chapter 24. And we're going to close up here briefly. I'm going to give you an outline, one final outline. Luke chapter 24 and uh, verse 46. Then he said, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. The book of Acts shows us how the commission that the Lord had commended to the disciples was carried out. Naturally, Acts chapter 1, go back over to Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1. And I did warn you this was academic, right? Some of you are looking at me like, I didn't want to go to school today. <laughs> Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. The commission is given again in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The witnesses... They begin, it begins where the Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 21. Acts 2 and verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So the gospel began to be preached right there in Jerusalem, and it began to go forth. Um, Later on in Acts chapter 8, go to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to the death at the time of the great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. Here we see the gospel beginning. You remember what happened? Stephen was stoned for confessing the Lord. And as a result of that, there was a great persecution among the church and the the people were scattered. They were all scattered. And and, uh, look at Acts chapter 10. Verse 33, <clears throat> here, we find, uh, here we find Peter uh, having the vision and beginning to the first steps of the gospel, having been preached to the Jews for one more time, now it's going to go to the Gentiles. Verse 33, 1033, So I sent you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God, to hear all the things commanded you by God. So Peter opened his mouth in verse 34. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The progress of the gospel in Acts corresponds with the Lord's prophetic, and you can look at this later yourself, the Lord's prophetic parable in Matthew chapter 22 of that great feast when there was a great wedding feast and he called out and told everyone to come to the feast and uh, the people didn't come and then later on uh, he would call again and then finally uh, he would go to the highways and the byways and fill his house. God will have his way. He desires to redeem humanity, and He will do it. So there we have some of the characters and some of the content uh, just in a brief capsule of the book of Acts. I'm going to give you a quick, <clears throat> simple division. of. of uh, I love the way uh, David Gooding does it. When <clears throat> he has a whole lot. But that's like way too much for me to handle. So I made it a lot more simpler. This is more, um, this is more like third grade level, so you should be with me, right? Okay, I've, I, and I don't feel, you know, um, I was sitting over here and I, Brian said, you need the screen. And I said, well, I'd like to do a PowerPoint, but I don't know how to work PowerPoint. And he looked at me like this. What? He says, it's easy. I said, oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> so anyway, um, so we're, we're going to keep things simple if that's okay. A simple division of the book of Acts. Acts, first of all, Acts chap- chapter 1 through verse 7 Here we have the historical account at the beginning of the church. Uh, There's a renewed testimony to the nation concerning Jesus, or to the the nation concerning Jesus as the Christ and the kingdom. So there's a renewed presentation of the testimony to the Jews. Then there's the stoning of Stephen, which 
to a great extent, closes that testimony to the nation of Israel and opens it up to the Gentiles. We go into Acts chapter 8 through 12. This is a transition period. The gospel goes from Jerusalem to Samaria. Saul's converted. Peter preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter's imprisoned. He's miraculously released. And Peter's, by the way, in these first two sections, these first two divisions, Peter is in the forefront of most of the activity that's going on in these two parts. In uh, chapter 2, he preaches the gospel to the Jews, and then in chapter 10, he preaches it to the Gentiles. So he's the, uh, the, the foremost character, as it were, in that part. And then in Acts chapter 13 through 28, <clears throat> naturally we have the travels and the labors of Paul, and uh, the gospel begins to be preached in different lands, and then it closes with Paul's journey to Rome. Uh, which would be to the uttermost, as it were, parts of the world at that known time. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, I anticipate we'll be looking forward to uh, um, you know, digging in deeper into the book of Acts and the will of the Lord. Are we going to do it tonight? Acts 1? Yeah, I'm going to do just a brief, this evening I'll do a brief introduction or a brief study on the... Um, Chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, if I haven't already done too much, as it were. J.B. Phillips points out, <clears throat> I thought this was, this was interesting, or um, profound anyway. J.B. Phillips, he pointed out that in no, <clears throat> in no comparable period of history, so there's not been any other time in history, has any small body of ordinary people so move the world that their enemies would say, these men have turned the world upside down. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. And that's uh, just a great testimony and a, a humbling instrument of the power and the wisdom of a great and a mighty God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, oh, how our faith is renewed as we uh, in, investigate, invest, and, and bring our lives before you and uh, in your word. Uh, thank you, Father, for this history that's been preserved for us. It uh, explains to us the very foundation of uh, what you would do with the church. So we thank you, Father. We give you the glory, love you, and we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.